The other problem is that, um, as we've discussed, psoriatic arthritis is something that creeps up after a number of years. And so asking or administering a screening tool at every visit may not be time efficient, may not be cost efficient. And then over time, it gets sort of forgotten, right? So really the simple answer for that would be to have a system either mechanized in your EMR or in your chart to remind you to ask about that domain about once a year when you follow patients. That in some countries is actually mandated. So in the UK, it's good practice and standard practice to inquire about psoriatic arthritis in psoriasis patients once yearly. And that sort of uh, mindset I think would be very useful. My name is Dr. Jan Dutz, and you're listening to the Skin and Joints podcast. Welcome to the Skin and Joints podcast, a national multidisciplinary conversation where we look at emerging therapies, clinical practice pearls, and how to address unmet needs for our patients with complex inflammatory disease. And of course, our mission to uncover clinical secrets that hopefully revolutionize your practice. Research demonstrates that up to 30% of patients with psoriasis go on to develop psoriatic arthritis. Psoriatic arthritis is a complex disease that has several patterns of joint involvement and other extra-articular manifestations like enthesitis, dactylitis, and uveitis. With a complex patient journey that involves a delayed diagnosis, Best practices recommend a multidisciplinary approach that includes the involvement of primary care dermatologists and rheumatologists to establish effective strategies for early detection. Given this context, several different validated screening tools have been identified to predict whether a person with psoriasis may go on to develop psoriatic arthritis, including clinical characteristics such as the severity of psoriasis or the presence of certain features like are the lesions on the scalp, is there nail disease involvement, is there inverse psoriasis? psoriasis or is a palmal plantar area impacted. We know that if left untreated, 50% of patients with psoriatic arthritis will have irreversible joint damage within two years. So how do we efficiently identify patients with psoriatic arthritis in clinical practice? I read something last week that patients are as likely to associate ice cream with pickles as they are to associate arthritis with psoriasis. How can we start thinking more of a peanut butter and jelly or cookies and milk type of association or relationship. It remains unclear and no pun intended there, by the way, and the jury's still out. Which validated PSA screening tool is the best? We couldn't think of a better person to have more than a skin deep look at psoriatic arthritis. We've had conversations with rheumatologists and dermatologists from across Canada, but we haven't had a chance to connect with a practice expert who is both a rheumatologist and a dermatologist at the same time. Today, we're going to talk to a practice expert who literally can provide a perspective from both a rheumatology and dermatology point of view. Dr. Jan Dutz is a professor of medicine and the current head of dermatology at the University of British Columbia. He is a senior scientist with the Child and Family Research Institute. Dr. Dutz is one of the few physicians in North America to be board certified and maintain active practice in both rheumatology and dermatology. And he has published in over 50 scientific academic journals and book chapters in the areas of biology immunology and autoimmunology. He's also one of the busiest guys that I know. Dr. Dutz, welcome to today's episode of the Skin and Joints podcast, and thank you for being here. You're very welcome. 
All righty. Before we get into it, I want to ask you something that our listeners wanted to know more about. So tell us something about yourself that our viewers may not know a secret hidden talent, a sport you play. People are curious, Dr. Dukes. All right. Well, a secret uh, talent and, and interest is that I'm uh, actually an accordion aficionado. So that's an instrument that was really popular in the 60s and 70s, sort of when I grew up. And I've uh, remained interested in it, both classical accordion music and jazz and popular Wow. Do some of your residents get a, a treat from you sometimes? Do they get to listen to your recording at uh, some of the get-togethers and the social events? No, no, I have an interest. I didn't say I still play. <laughs> I haven't seen you yet. At the next CME or conference, I'm going to have to mention that to the MC to see what we can get out of you in terms of uh, a performance. So tell us about your childhood. What experience or experiences do you think led you to the pathway to becoming a certified dermatologist and a rheumatologist? And what came first? Oh, well... Um, First came a, a love of facts, a love of science, and uh, an inquiring mind, I guess. So when I was in my teens, I was interested in science and always saw myself being a scientist and uh, with a clinical bent. There was a book by uh, an author called Jan de Kriff, uh, which detailed the history of the fight against microbes and infections. And that was one of my favorite books as a kid because uh, it showed how we beat disease or infectious disease. And I always saw myself sort of at the interface between science and, and, and clinical fact. And I actually went into medicine without a specific specialty in mind, did internal medicine because of its uh, breadth, and gravitated to rheumatology again because of its breadth and because not much was known about mechanisms at the time. And this is, again, in the 80s, I guess, if I'm dating myself. And it's through my training in rheumatology that I became interested in cutaneous manifestations of connective tissue diseases, and that led uh, to my interest in skin disease. So how inspiring that book was. You started off with internal medicine, rheumatology, and you got interested in the skin, and, and uh, you pursued that route. It's rare to find a practitioner like yourself to have both perspectives and point of views. So we're really excited to have your perspective on today's conversation with psoriatic arthritis. Who's a better rheumatologist, you or Dr. Wade? I'm kidding. I don't think we compare each other. <laughs> you know, I think we might ask him when he's on the show as well, but I think you guys are just as good. We all strive to be good clinicians. There you go. Tell us about your current practice here in Vancouver. What kind of patients do you see? And I also know that you host a joint clinic with rheumatologist Dr. John Chan, where you co-manage patients with psoriatic arthritis. And how's that been going? So a number of questions there, uh, a little bit layered. Uh, I'll start with my clinical practice. So my clinical practice is one of complicated medical dermatology. Uh, I see patients essentially that have diseases that require systemic therapy. So severe atopic dermatitis, immunobullous disorders, and then the diseases that overlap between rheumatology and dermatology. And that includes psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis, lupus, systemic sclerosis, morphia, and others. So very complex uh, yeah. cases. And tell us a little bit more about this co-managed clinic you do with Dr. Chan. What kind of patients do you see there? Right. So in Vancouver, we're lucky in that we uh, have a clinic that is co-managed by a rheumatologist and dermatologist, the, the DART clinic, Dr. Shujanya on the rheumatology side and Dr. Sheila Au on the dermatology side. And they assess patients with uh, complicated connective tissue diseases. Uh, there was still a gap for patients with uh, psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis, 
that were more difficult to manage. And so the clinic that I work with John Chen on is to serve those patients. It's really cool. It's certainly something that you don't see very often, but you guys seem to have pioneered it early. What would you say is the overall goal of that clinic, the top line goal? Well, the goal is to provide more holistic care of patients with psoriatic uh, domain or psoriatic disease and to provide additional consultative services for patients that are seen by rheumatologists who may have controlled joint disease but not controlled skin disease and vice versa, patients that have uh, skin disease that is reasonably controlled but the joint disease isn't controlled. So these are the more complicated patients where we're trying to assess the extent of the systemic disease involvement in terms of joints and skin and how to best manage it. Shifting gears a little bit, let's talk a little bit about your clinical experience, Dr. Dutes, and specifically looking at your colleagues in dermatology. When we talk about psoriasis and a patient, let's say, who presents with moderate to severe psoriasis to the clinic, is there too much of a focus on getting clear skin rather than potentially looking at underlying systemic inflammation, the joint conversation, in addition to the skin presentation? Do you think that? Well, uh, two things. First of all, uh, these patients come to the dermatologist or are referred to the dermatologist for management of their skin and problems with the skin. And we have become reasonably good at at doing that, and we've got uh, reasonably good tools to do that. At the same time, as we've been managing these patients, it's become clear that a proportion of them are either at risk or have active psoriatic arthritis that may or may not be recognized and may have other consequences of systemic inflammation, such as uh, a higher risk of cardiovascular disease or thromboembolic disease or other comorbidities, including depression and inability to work, for example. Quality of life uh, Yeah, quali- where quality of life. And so as physicians, we should keep quality of life as top of mind. And be aware that there may be more than, than just what meets the eye and the skin disease that may also be affecting these patients. So more than skin deep, as we yes. just talked about in our introduction. When you look at the pathway, if, if a patient, let's say, comes in with moderate to severe case of psoriasis, does a dermatologist think in their mind, okay, I should assess the joints or rather let me refer to a room colleague? How does that pathway usually flow if they suspect psoriatic arthritis? First of all, is screening actively being done in the dermatology clinics? And B, if it's a suspected case, is it a referral to the rheumatologist or does the dermatologist manage it all on their own or is it a bit of both? It really depends on the practice environment of the physician. Uh, there are some dermatologists who are very Uh, competent and comfortable screening for psoriatic arthritis and initiating therapy for the joint disease as well as the skin disease. But in most areas in Canada, we have rheumatologists that are our colleagues that can be brought in to help us with that. Our role is to regularly ask the patients if uh, they have joint complaints and perform screening in that way with the specific Uh, focused questions, Uh, and if so, enlist the help of a rheumatologist to help confirm the diagnosis because not all joint pain is psoriatic arthritis. There are many other causes of joint pain, even in psoriasis patients. And really, the difficulty lies uh, in the fact that often patients develop these joint symptoms and joint disease 
after many years of skin disease. So we become accustomed to looking after our patients and treating them from the skin disease. Uh, and often we do a reasonable job and the skin is, is not a problem anymore. And then we may not be attuned to the fact that other problems can still surface. I think I read a recent literature review saying that an average of seven years or so, seven to 10 years, depending on what yeah. we look at, is the delay between the skin presentation and the joint presentation. So typically, I think I can see clinicians really just focusing on the skin, going along their usual way until something really is a flag. Now, let's say the dermatologist has a suspected case of psoriatic arthritis. How long usually in a center like Vancouver does it take to refer to rheumatologists and for the patient to actually be seen? Is that a brand new referral and can it be sped up if it's a case that is really clear cut and, and could benefit from an intervention? Yeah, I would say say uh, a standard uh, f- time frame for referral is anywhere between three and six months, depending on the jurisdiction. And there are situations where that should be accelerated. And those are situations where there's a, a significant effect on the patient's quality of life. I mean, if the patient can't, uh, has trouble with activities of daily living and can't get to their job, they need attention. And so those are the kind of patients that need to be seen more quickly. So Dr. Jutes, what do you think are some of the barriers? What are the barriers that you see in your practice or that you've heard of from your colleagues to the implementation of psoriatic arthritis screening tools in clinical practice, specifically from a dermatologist's perspective? Well, you know, screening tools were developed now almost five to 10 years ago. They've been around for a number of years. And each of these tools, when they're developed, have a reasonable sensitivity and specificity for the population they've been developed for. But when they are essentially scaled up and used in a larger sense or in the true clinical world, the sensitivity and specificity of these tools has decreased somewhat, decreasing the enthusiasm of clinicians to use them. And that, I think, remains one problem. The other problem is that, um, as we've discussed, psoriatic arthritis is something that creeps up after a number of years. And so asking or administering a screening tool at every visit may not be time efficient, may not be cost efficient, and then over time it gets sort of forgotten, right? So really the simple answer for that would be to have a system either mechanized in your EMR or in your chart to remind you to ask about that domain about once a year when you follow patients. That in some countries is actually mandated. So in the UK, it's good practice and standard practice to inquire about psoriatic arthritis in psoriasis patients once yearly. And that sort of uh, mindset I think would be very useful. So you're building it into your daily workflow protocols. Yep. Okay. So if we could remind physicians to yearly do that check and, and you know, uh, check it off, I think that would be very useful. As to what tool to use, as I said, I, the sensitivity and specificity of these tools is variable. It's really uh, a tool that is either practical for you, the workflow in your office, and those are usually ones that are quickly administered, a circumscribed number of questions, you know, maybe four or five, and that could be then filed into the chart and kept for future reference. I think we still have a ways to go to create a workflow in individual physicians' offices to make that uh, simple and efficient. But with the adoption of EMRs, I'm sure there's an opportunity there to improve on that and make it a reality. It's interesting, at some of the conversations we've had with dermatologists, they've certainly brought up the issue of time, especially for medical appointments where 
you may only have seven minutes or less. And having an efficient battery that can be done exactly which questions to ask, uh, you're well familiar. It's really a key aspect of this whole conversation. Sure. So, I mean, ideally, this would not encroach upon your interaction time at a clinical visit. This is something that can, in this day and age, easily be done by email or by attendant staff before or uh, after your visit. And really, that would be the I think the appropriate way of building that into the practice. You talked earlier about the multidisciplinary care conversation at the joint and skin clinic that you're part of. Do you think that with COVID-19 that there's been a shift in the healthcare consumer's mindset of uh, the role of technology and being able to see your practitioner virtually? Do you think that dermatologists and rheumatologists could be co-managing patients through a virtual decentralized model rather than having a co-located model? Do you think some cases would benefit from that? You know, I'm still a firm believer that the ideal patient interaction is a person-to-person interaction. And that goes for rheumatology as well as dermatology. I mean, there are nuances that we can't capture over the phone or through a televisit. But that doesn't mean that uh, we can't bring in someone, an expert, through a televisit or uh, virtually to help us or to connect with other physicians regarding patient care. And there are structures now that are already available that encourage that. So I think a greater adoption of those structures, those the, the billing codes, the billing fees, and, and uh, a, a structured time for discussion of complex patients is uh, something that benefits both the patients and the physicians involved. Right. And I think we have to think of it from that lens too, is obviously the patient comes first, but we're not trying to get physicians or or clinicians to redo the same paperwork 50 times. It's really about having it automated as much as possible and and moving forward with that. So this gets me to the conversation about a a really neat project that you've been working on along with some of your colleagues called the Future First Model of Care. And, you know, could you tell us a little bit about the project and what are the ultimate goals of it and the priorities that you're trying to identify? Well, in this project, we're actually trying to increase the awareness of dermatologists with regards to the the systemic sequelae of psoriasis, specifically psoriatic arthritis, to try to keep that foremost in the minds of the dermatologists so that they don't forget that this is something that can happen in one in three or one in four of their patients, so as to identify that as early as possible. So looking at more along this project and the key goals of this, you talked about general education and the need to screen and, and helping to facilitate screening at the dermatologist's office. Let's chat about validated screening tools. So could you walk us through your thoughts about what currently are the go-to tools used to screen for psoriatic arthritis in clinical practice? Any thoughts? Well, a number of groups have created tools, as I've alluded to earlier. There's a group in Leeds that developed a tool called the PEST, and there's a group in Toronto that developed a a tool called Topaz. What we did as as dermatologists is reviewed a number of these tools and looked at the literature behind these tools and tried to identify tools that would be most useful in a dermatologist's office, with uh, the criterion being that these tools were sensitive, specific, and easy to administer, and also had uh, a minimum number of questions so as to be time effective. And uh, through that exercise, we came up with these with three tools, PEST, Pure4, CIPAT, that we would like to evaluate more closely, not in terms of initially sensitivity and specificity, but more in terms of 
in terms of their adoptability by dermatologists. So which ones do dermatologists feel most comfortable with of those tools so that then we can hone in on one? So to my mind, that's the first step. Let's, let's identify amongst the tools that are available, which ones dermatologists would feel most comfortable with. Some of these tools require changes in language and, and wording to make them appropriate for our offices and for our practices. And once we've done that, then we can talk about, well, what are the steps or the mechanics in encouraging dermatologists to adopt this in their practice? Right? Is it going to be an email reminder, a telephone reminder? Is it going to be uh, a note in the chart? There are many different ways of poking uh, <laughs> the clinician to remind them that, hey, did you ask about psoriatic arthritis once a year? And once we've decided on the tool, we can then look at the mechanisms of enabling the use of those tools. That's probably the biggest challenge is changing human behavior and the implementation and rollout. I think we're, I like to say we're always in the business of behavior change as healthcare practitioners. And certainly that uh, is an interesting approach. In your practice, is it feasible right now looking at some of the patients that might newly be coming to your clinic or referred as patients with moderate severe psoriasis, is it practical to use any of these in your current sort of practice? Do you use anything else in terms of screening? Um, well, I'm like probably most dermatologists. I don't currently use a screening tool regularly. Okay. We have a study where we're actually e emailing it or asking patients to fill this out electronically. And again, we're going through the, these iterations that we talked about, about what is the best way to communicate with your patient when they're at home so that they don't have to come in. And uh, so that that's a, a, a work in evolution. And in my, in my practice, what I do is I ask patients. I, it takes just a couple of seconds. You know, do you have any joint pains? Do you have problems with your back? And I, I look for evidence of, uh, of dactylitis and or enthesitis in my exams. And that takes just a couple of seconds. Let's say a dermatologist or a derm dermatology, one of your residents, did a screen for a patient for suspected PSA. With one of these validated tools, along with the clinical signs, in your mind, what ideally should be the next step? I guess talking about implementation, what should happen next? Well, I think uh, the next uh, rational step is, is referral to a rheumatologist. And what information do you give that rheumatologist in terms of facilitating that referral? Well, I would say you tell the rheumatologist, one, this patient has psoriasis and you're following them. Two, they've tested positive in a screening tool or in one of your screening questions. Uh, and three, uh, you add uh, a modifier as to how severely the arthritis domain is impacting the patient's quality of life. So that allows the rheumatologist, first of all, big picture, this is psoriasis disease. Uh, smaller picture, we're having problems with joints. And honing in on how severe this is, i.e. how quickly should I see this patient. Perfect. So that, that's a masterclass right there for all the residents listening in of how effective communication can be done with a rheumatologist. I love it. How often, and we may have touched on this, how often would you recommend using a questionnaire, again, in, a, in an ideal scenario on a patient with psoriasis who might just be starting on biologic therapy? In terms of frequency, I think we talked about once a year might be yeah. a ideal case. I think once a year is, is certainly reasonable. I think the, at some point in your interactions with the patient, you should make them aware of the possibility of linkage because you should also encourage in your discussions to have the patient bring up that issue should it arise, right? 
so that if they develop new onset joint pain, that they make you aware of it at their next appointment. But in terms of formal screening and asking, I think once a year is, is, is sufficient. There's also been recent chatter about having something that's Canadian-made, like a validated screening battery, a PSA screening battery that's co-created by dermatologist practice leaders, maybe involving rheumatologist practice leaders as well. What are your thoughts about this? Do you think there's room for this? Do you think there's a need for this? Well, I think, as I said, we do have a number of tools that have various uh, amounts of sensitivity and specificity. I think the real problem is making those tools digestible to be adopted by dermatologists. And if there, if there are tweaks to be made that make those tools more acceptable, both to the patient and to the physician, then I think that's a good thing. So if we take what we have and improve on it, uh, good for us. That's a iterative iteration. I, <laughs> process that when we look at innovation and looking at new things, new delivery of services and value, that's kind of the steps that need to be taken, right, to move forward. Yeah. When we look at multidisciplinary co-managed models of care, like the one you're involved in, how do we scale those up across the country? How do we have a, a Dr. Chen, Dr. Dutz combo either in person, virtually? Is it fe feasible? Is it realistic that we can have these multidisciplinary centers at various hubs across the country. So the question is, how do we enable multidisciplinary clinics in different settings? Yes. And uh, really, it, it depends on the will of the clinicians involved and the interest of the clinicians involved. Uh, they have to be interested in doing this collaboratively and the will to work on, on an efficient way that works for those, those specific clinicians. You know, that, that probably varies from province to province based on billing codes and options for organization. The fundamental problem that we face in combining a derm and a rooms clinic is that the pace of those clinics by nature are very, very different, right? A rheumatologist is comfortable at seeing four, maybe six patients an hour, which is a very different pace than a pace uh, of a dermatologist's clinic. And the flow of the patients has to be altered to, to make it acceptable to both. You make a good point about practice types and the synergy that needs to be there so that uh, each practitioner is understanding of each other's roles, but also how they see patients. You know, what's the assessment look like? In a co-managed clinic, there's certain things you might add or remove from each discipline, but the willingness, uh, it needs to be there. And that's an interesting comment. So one of the things that was an express need from healthcare providers before starting this project was to learn about real clinical patient cases. Dr. Dudes, could you share perhaps a case of a patient in a real world setting that you have managed or co-managed with the multidisciplinary clinic you're involved where you found that this care was really important and really where it may have made an impact on this patient's clinical course? Yeah, well, I think some of the common examples that we see in our clinic are patients that have joint disease, that have had psoriasis, then have psoriatic arthritis and are being treated with biologics for their psoriatic arthritis, and then develop some worsening in their skin domain. And often it's not clear to the uh, referring physician, either the family doctor or the rheumatologist, if that skin worsening is actually a recurrence of psoriasis, a different form of psoriasis, or a form of eczema. And quite commonly, 
the patients get a worsening of another skin disease, such as eczema, related to the use of specific biologics. And there you really need the combined acumen of the rheumatologist that treats the joint disease and the dermatologist that makes an accurate diagnosis of the skin disease and modifies therapy accordingly to get a good outcome. When we look at the patient journey, it's very complex. We're competing with Dr. Google these days. There's a lot going on in the minds of the patients that we sometimes don't see as practitioners. I'll give you an example. When I'm at the pharmacy, I find a patient knows sometimes more about the drug therapy than I do. So the question then is, what are they looking for? And it's about contextualizing to their particular condition, comorbidities, et cetera. I think with what you're describing certainly lends itself to really the best possible way of practicing and, and the best practices in terms of how an optimized model should be. And I think there's a lot of things to learn, and I hope that you're collecting a lot of data. I'm sure you are, because sharing that is so important with the rest of the practicing community. As we wrap up our conversation, and I'm sure we could probably go on for a few more hours with you, what role do you see primary care providers like pharmacists, like uh, nurses, like GPs play in terms of supporting the patient's journey? Supporting the patient's journey in patients with psoriasis, with suspected psoriatic arthritis, because we talk about these validated tools. Maybe a bit of a provocative question. Do you think primary care practitioners could be trained on how to administer these tools and could they relay it to someone like yourself? Well, I think... It's our role as specialists to, in our consult letters, to educate the primary care physicians and remind them of the associations with systemic disease. It's uh, their role to be aware of that and to integrate that into the patient care, management of cholesterol, triglycerides, hypertension, cardi cardiovascular disease, depression. We can signal those linkages, but really it's up to the primary care physician to manage all that and to bring in the appropriate specialists when needed, right? I think allied health professionals should also be aware of the comorbidities of psoriasis, including arthritis and these other things that I just talked about, and should be aware that it can impact the patient with psoriasis. And they shouldn't shy away from asking the patient if there are symptoms in those domains. Because the more people that are involved in thinking about the whole picture, the better we are, I think. To that point, the number of time a patient sees someone like a pharmacist is a lot more frequent than they might see yourself. If you're getting a follow-up every three or six months, at that time they might have seen me three or six times, right, depending on the refill of medication. So there certainly may be value in looking at equipping everyone with that that background knowledge and, and just to be able to think about a standardized approach. I'm always trying to advocate for patients on a new biologic. What are the key questions in 30 seconds or 45 seconds or less that we as pharmacists can add a value to their journey as well as uh, communication we provide to you? So maybe that could be another project uh, we work yep. on. All right. So that cues the Ask the Expert segment as part of the Skin and Joints podcast. So Dr. Dutz, uh, this is a, a really neat way of interacting with our listeners. We had a, a lot of questions submitted in anticipation of our conversation. We could only select two for the interest of time. So we had the first question from Madison in Oakville, Ontario, and she asks, do you think virtual care with COVID-19 will change the way we see our patients in the dermatology space? What has your experience been so far? Well, I, I think as I've said earlier in the podcast, I think the ideal interaction is a personal interaction, both for communication and, and for diagnosis. Having said that, I think uh, this has pushed technology and society to think of other ways of interacting. And I think 
it does provide us with more options for patient follow-up in terms of checking on responses to medication and follow-ups with questions patients may have, which can now more easily be done in a virtual way than prior to the, the COVID pandemic. And we also have a question from Craig, all the way from Halifax, Nova Scotia. So, Dr. Dutes, what's a good characteristic of a screening tool that is ideal to avoid over-referral? And is this a worry in practice that we're picking up cases that are suspected false PSA assessments? Well, I mean, the ideal uh, tool has high sensitivity and high specificity. And if you drop sensitivity, you'll miss cases. And if you drop specificity, you'll bring in a bunch of cases that are irrelevant. I think if you take the approach that I outlined previously about does a tool come back with a positive result and then how severe is the disease, that helps in terms of informing your need for referral. I I would argue that even if someone doesn't have PSA, but if they're not coping and they're not able to work or move around, they still need to be seen by a rheumatologist, you know. So I think we still have a bit of work to do to look at the efficiency of integrating these tools into our practice and how it will affect our ability to identify patients quickly and, and treat them effectively. Dr. Jan Dutz, thanks so much for having this conversation with us today. Dr. Dutz, an expert musician, dermatologist, rheumatologist, and a very, very busy guy. So what are your key takeaways from the conversation we just had with Dr. Dutz? We spoke about healthcare providers like dermatologists not surprisingly, really don't have a lot of time in their appointments and need a efficient and accurate way of screening and validating features, characteristics of patients with psoriasis who may be at heightened risk of PSA. It's exciting. There are new innovations, new ways of screening our patients with validated tools to catch psoriatic arthritis early and prevent further disease progression, but there's still a lot of work to do. And In 2021, I think that we don't have a risk stratifier that takes into account genomic factors in addition to clinical indicators, as well as looking at quality of life measures in these patients that are really important to know when you look at implementing a new PSC screening tool in practice. There's the complexity of the disease and the number of screening tools out there. When you look at sometimes the lack of training and knowledge about existing tools among physicians, the limitations of the tool's specificity, and the lack of robust effectiveness of screening tools in real-world settings, it can be challenging. In addition, the lack of coordinated care between specialties and pre-established protocols that allow for rapid referral from a dermatologist to a rheumatologist. So there is a fundamental gap in clinical practice that needs to be addressed. And the project that Dr. Dutz, along with his colleagues, are working on seems promising. Finally, I think that... One of the key fundamental aspects is a close collaboration with rheumatologists, dermatologists, as well as primary care, and even if it's just an awareness. If a patient presents at the counter or at your clinic and talks to you about stiff joints in the morning and has skin involvement, psoriasis, that covers roughly over 10% of their body surface area, it's something worth having a deeper dive or look into. Now, we know all patients won't end up being diagnosed with psoriatic arthritis, but having that in the back of your mind can be a very powerful clinical practice tool. We're just at the tip of the iceberg, and today's conversation definitely served to demonstrate that with COVID-19 and how that's changed perceptions of patients. We're entering a new era where virtual decentralized care can allow for a lot more collaborative care models that don't require physical co-location. Thanks so much for joining us as part of the Skin and Joints podcast. We hope that you'll continue the conversation with us on skinandjoints.ca. We'd love to also hear from you 
you? What are your thoughts about today's conversation? Drop us a line at info at skinandjoints.ca. Wait, Aaron, you forgot to mention, we kind of have to say this. The opinions expressed on the Skin and Joints podcast are for educational purposes only and do not constitute nor replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult with your healthcare provider if you have any concerns or questions about your health. And thank you to Novartis for supporting today's episode with an independent medical educational grant. Let's chat soon.